Turn to Psalms 34.1. I want to speak to you on the power of worship that brings the presence of God into your life. The power of worship that brings the presence of God into your life. Psalm 34.1, David is writing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. I love that. I sought the Lord, or I searched for the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. But let me show you how powerful a statement that really is. Friends, there are 10 chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Abraham. There are 11 chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Jacob. Now, we know that Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel, and his grandchildren from his son Isaac became the nation of Israel, and we all know how real important that is. There are 10 chapters in the Bible devoted to Elijah and Elisha, the two major miracle ministries of the Old Testament. But there are 66 chapters in the Bible that directly relate to the life of David. And over 1,200 references to his name are found in Scripture. In addition, 59 times David is mentioned in the New Testament. Now, when you think of faith, you think of Abraham. When you think of patience, you think of Job. When you think of the law, you think of Moses. And when you think of miracles, you think of Elijah and Elisha. But when you think of the power of praise, when you think of the power of God's presence in an individual's life, you think of God's song and dance man, David. The most prominent Old Testament character mentioned 1,200 times in the Bible, is a man of worship. There must be a reason why the Holy Spirit inspired the directors and directed the authors of the Bible to keep referencing and speaking about David. I believe it's because he loved the presence of the Lord. Now, there are two major events in David's life that paint a portrait for us that show us exactly how much he loved the presence of God. We see him in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And the Bible says David is cartwheeling and he's dancing before the Lord and he's bringing back the Ark of the Covenant to the house of David, the house of Israel, to Jerusalem. And the Ark was a symbol of God's presence with God. It's a gold box. In that box were three things. Aaron's rod, which represent God's leadership. The Ten Commandments, which represent God's law. And the manna, which represent God's provision. God's law, God's leadership, and God's provision. It was a symbol of God's presence with Israel. And David is dancing and he's celebrating before the presence of the Lord. And the reason he is celebrating, the Ark of the Covenant during the reign of Saul did not have the prominence in the nation that David thought it should have. In fact, Saul didn't put really a lot of emphasis on God's presence in his life. He kind of leaned on his own understanding. And in David's eyes, this was a great grievance to Israel, and the insults of their giant Goliath was no different. And the Philistines, they had heard about the Ark of the Covenant, 
and they thought in their mind, if I steal the ark, then we will be invincible in war. So the Bible tells us that the Philistines came to steal God's presence, but they had no idea that there is a price to pay to get his presence. And they put it on a cart, and they took it to the nation of Gad, or the Philistine nation. We find out in the story, as you read the narrative, that God's hand was heavy against the Philistines for stealing the ark. And the Bible says that God struck them with, with tumors. One translation says emeralds. My personal favorite translation is hemorrhoids. <laughs> That's what it said. God struck them with hemorrhoids. And they were soon to find out that God always gets you in the end. Yeah. <laughs> and I want, you to a whole, I want you to imagine a whole nation of people that can't sit down. But God got their attention. And they said, get rid of the ark. And they sent it back to Israel. And David, having humbled the Philistines, while killing their giant Goliath, is now wanting his people to know and love the presence of God. So now he's dancing before the Lord. And 2 Samuel 6 tells us that he brought together 30,000 of the able young fighting men of Israel. Here is a man that realizes there's a price to pay to bring God's presence. There's nothing more important in life than God's presence. And this is a high point in his life. Then we see him in 1 Samuel 30 on another occasion, on the saddest day of his life, when the Amalekites, they raid the Negev and the Ziklag, which is David's hometown. And they attacked the Ziklag, and on this day, David lost everything that was precious to him. He lost his wife and his children. He lost his home and his business. David is at a low point in his life. And 1 Samuel 30 says, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever been so hurt and grieved so hard that after you shed every tear, there's still an emptiness and a pit in your stomach? And you can't cry anymore, yet the grief is overwhelming. What's amazing is just a couple days earlier prior to this incident, these mighty men of David were willing to give their life for him, but now because they are in such pain and heartache, they're thinking about stoning David. And the Bible says David was greatly distressed, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. What blows my mind and what's amazing to me is on both occasions, the happiest day of his life and the saddest day of his life, his first reaction, his basic instinct was exactly the same. He worshiped. He turned both situations into a time of praise and worship. In the highs of his life and the lows of his life, he said, I've just got to get into God's presence. Friends, all the commentaries that I have read said the nation of Israel grew and prospered more under King David than any other time in the nation of Israel. And it was because he was a man of worship. His main emphasis in life was to worship God, to be close to the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine what would happen in this church? Can you imagine what would happen in your life, in your marriage, in your family, if the church would take serious David's example? And understand that as we worship God in every experience of our life, in the good times and in the bad times, in sickness 
and in health. If we would love, honor, and cherish God's presence, God is able to expand and grow and prosper our lives as well as the church here on earth more than anything that you could possibly imagine if you'll just hunger for him. Listen, evangelism comes out of worship. Here's what many people do not understand. They'll come to the church and they'll look around and they'll say, why do they sing the way they sing? Why do some of them lift their hands? And why do some of them just shed the tear? They'll look around and see, well, some of them are dancing and they're shouting and why all the exuberant joy? Where does it come from? And here's the answer. The reason we have this kind of worship, God has set us free. Well, you didn't hear me. I said, God has set us free. Well, you still haven't got it. Some of you were lost in alcoholism. You were lost in drug addiction. Some of you were lost in it, and you knew that you had no hope. But God set you free. If you've been set free by God, somebody clap your hands and praise him that now you're free indeed. Come on, praise him. <laughs> and because of this freedom, we must be a church that is unashamed and uninhibited to give God boisterous and amazing and sometimes loud, even shouting praise. It's a pillar of the church that we cannot contain it. See, worship brings evangelism. People get saved when we start worshiping. People get healed in the presence of God. Things begin to happen when the church raises up praise. When the presence of the Lord begins to move, there's a tangible touch of God's presence. The Bible tells us in John 4, 34, chapter 4, verse 3, verse 42, Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. The word must makes it clear that this is a divine appointment. And when he gets there, he tells his disciples, you go get lunch, and I'm going to wait right here. I have an appointment. I could preach a whole series of messages on how Jesus waits for you, and he waits for you, and for you, for you. While he's sitting there by the well and waiting, a woman of ill repute, a Samaritan woman, came to draw water from the well at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And some say she was a prostitute. We really don't know if she was or if she wasn't. But we do know she had five husbands and was living with number six out of wedlock. And Jesus begins a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And he begins to tell her about her life, about the ups and the downs, about the hurts and the pain. And she realizes this man is a prophet. She then proceeds to ask what is probably the most pressing theological question for first century Samaritans. She looks right at Jesus and she said, where is the proper place of worship? Where is the proper place of worship? You see, the Samaritans were descended from the Israelite people who had not been deported when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom. And they imported into their home other languages and other religions, and they'd watered down their stance with God. And they allowed other things to pull them away from true worship, and yet they are looking for the Messiah. And so she says, where is the proper place to worship? Jesus answered her by saying, your fathers worshiped on this mountain, 
But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship God and the Father in spirit and truth. Hear now. For the Father will seek out those who worship him. Often we say, well, pastor, I'm seeking God. But when you begin to worship God, God says, I will seek you out. No matter where you are, I'll seek you out. The creator of the universe says, when you begin to worship me, maybe you're in your car on the highway heading to work. And the moment you begin to worship him, he says, I come and seek you out. Maybe you're laying in the hospital and you're waiting to find out if the MRI came back that you've got cancer or leukemia and there's tubes in your nose and in your arms and the moment you begin to worship, he says, I come and seek you out. Possibly you're a teenager and you're walking across the campus of your high school and you feel lost and all alone. The Bible says the sea walker and the blind healer, the lily of the valley and the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000. The moment you begin to worship, he comes to that high school campus and he says, I will come and seek you out. Maybe you're on your way to work and walking through the parking lot and you know you're going to face a very difficult day and in your heart, you begin to lift up praise and you begin to be thankful to God and he says, I come and seek you out. Is there anybody here that wants the creator of the universe to come and seek you out and find you wherever you are? If you are, I want you to clap your hands and praise him. Here I am, Lord. Oh, come on, Bethlehem, praise him. He's gonna seek you out. And the Samaritan woman caught on spiritual fire over a conversation about worship. She ran, the Bible says, and told all the people about Jesus. She said, come and hear this man that told me everything about my life. Could he be the Messiah? The Bible says the disciples came back with a box lunch. And they're scratching their head, wondering why he's speaking to this foreigner. And she comes back with every person in the city. A whole city can be saved when God finds a church that will worship him in everything that they do. Because Monday through Saturday matters. How you live your life Monday through Saturday matters. The more you are thankful, when I say praise him, I say it's, it's a thankful heart. You lay down at night, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you that you got me up this morning. When you're walking into the shower and you turn the hot water on, Lord, thank you that the water's hot. <laughs> Because if, it didn't, if that check didn't come, Lord, it wouldn't be too warm this morning. How many know what I mean? Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you hear me and deliver me from all of my fears. When you worship God in that manner, there's a smile on your face, and people will say, why is that person always smiling? It just seems that there's something about them. The spirit of worship creates a spirit of evangelism. David wrote worship songs in the book of Psalms. And it's interesting that Jesus quoted more from the book of Psalms than any other Old Testament writer. Jesus quotes more from the Psalms than he did from Isaiah, Ezekiel, or the writings of Moses. Did you know that Jesus quotes the Psalms on 11 different occasions? Jesus, the greatest Old Testament scholar of his time, of all time, he used the book of worship as one of his greatest tools in his preaching arsenal to fulfill his missional purpose. And Jesus' missional purpose was simple. He said, my mission is to come and seek and save 
those who are lost. He knew if I can get people to worship, then live out the worship on a daily basis. In other words, have a thankful heart, a heart that just is continually thanking me before the answer comes. When's the last time you thank God for the miracle before the miracle took place? Lord, I want to thank you for the healing. Lord, I want to thank you that you're touching my daughter. I don't see it, Lord, but I'm going to thank you in advance. I've got several very dear, close friends in Springfield that I'm praying for on a daily basis. And every day, Lord, before I even see the miracle in their life, I'm going to thank you for the healing. I'm going to thank you for the deliverance. I'm going to thank you that you're touching their daughter. I'm going to thank you, Lord. Why? Because worship will bring about evangelism. In Acts 15 and 16, it says, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. This is a prophecy out of the book of Acts. You see, the tabernacle of David had to do with the fact that David brought the Ark of the Covenant and he set it down on Mount Zion, and then he placed it under a tent, And he rolled up the flaps of the tent because up to this point, the people had been banned from the Ark of the Covenant. In essence, you couldn't get near the presence of God. They only allowed one man to go into the presence of God. And if he wasn't right, he would die right there and they'd pull him out by his legs. But David wanted everyone to know the presence of the Lord because up to that point, the average person had been banned from God's presence. And the Ark of the Covenant was God's seat on earth. Did you hear what I said? The Ark of the Covenant was God's seat on earth. It's interesting that the creator of the universe wanted a seat on earth. And that seat was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Psalm 22 and 3 said, God is enthroned in the praises of his people. I was told by a missionary that the ancient Japanese translation of Psalm 22.3 says, whenever people worship, God brings a big comfy chair and sits down in the middle of them. Isn't that awesome? That God brings a big comfy chair and sits in the middle of it. You say, well, what does that mean? In other words, God gets comfortable when the church begins to worship by an upraised hand. Is there anyone here that wants to make God comfortable in this place? Well, you didn't hear me. I said, is there anyone that wants to make God comfortable in this place? Is there anyone that says, God, you can be comfortable in my home? I'll create an atmosphere of thankfulness. I'll create an atmosphere of worship where you are welcome in my home. If you're anything like me, you say, Lord, bring your big old lazy boy chair and set it right down in the midst of my family. Kick your feet up, Lord. We want your presence in our house. If you want the presence of God in your house, somebody clap your hands and praise him that God will come. Yes, Lord. And God wants to have a seat in your family. And that seat is called the mercy seat. Do you know why you get answers to prayer? It's not just because you fast. It's because of the mercy of God. Do you know why you get healed and get miracles and get blessed? Not because of any works that you can produce. It's the mercy of God. 
And God wants you to know the way you get my big mercy seat in the middle of your blessing, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your family, in the middle of all the things, the way you get my mercy in the middle of all the things is you begin to worship me. You create a habitation for me. You wake up with a thankful heart, and I bring my big old comfy chair, and I sit it right down in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your pain. The presence of Almighty God begins to move in your house. Right now, I want to take a little praise break. And I want you to forget the person to the left and to the right. And I want you right now just to lift your voice, and I want you to welcome the presence of the master. Tell him how much you need him. Tell him how much you love him. Come on, right now, church. Right now, all over the room. If you're watching me by live stream, I want you to stop right where you are and just bow your head and say, Lord, you're welcome in our house in Springfield, Missouri. Lord, you're welcome in our house, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would feel comfortable here. Come on, praise him on live stream and in the overflow, in the other satellite campuses. Somebody begin to praise him. Somebody tell him how much you're thankful. Somebody tell him how much you love him. Oh, come on, Bethlehem, lift up your voice. Cry out to God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. And the more you praise him, the bigger the chair gets. Don't stop. Don't stop. Welcome him into your home. Father, I pray that your presence would fill every home over live stream right now. Father, I pray you would touch Marissa, Lord. I pray that you would begin to touch Jim. Father, I pray you would touch Mary Martha. Lord, may the presence of God just begin to, that's it, praise him. Praise him. Lord, I'm thankful for our home. We're thankful for the car we drive. We're thankful for all the things you've given us. Yes, Lord. Don't stop. Don't stop. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Thank you for Carlene and Christian and Morgan. Call your children by name. Thank you for Quentin and Ashton, Lord. Call your children by name. Thank God for the miracle in, oh, come on, thank him for the miracle in advance. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Here it comes. Here he comes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Wow. Wow. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing praises to my king. The hymnologist said, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing praises to my king. That I would lift up my voice on a daily basis and just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. David's actions showed he loved the presence of God. He rolled up the tent tabernacle. Again, up to that point, the Gentiles were kept out of the presence of the Lord. Women were kept into the tabernacle or the, the, the courtyard of the women. Most average people couldn't get close to the Ark of the Covenant. So David said, roll it up that everyone might enjoy God's presence. 
And then David had musicians. The Bible tells us 274 surrounding the Ark of the Covenant in four different ships, 24 hours a day, 360 days a year. And you say, wait, pastor, did they take five days off? No, they have an ecclesiastical calendar. We have a lunar calendar. Their calendar is based on 360 days. So for 360 days, 274 uh, musicians surrounded the Ark of the Covenant. For 33 years, they played musical instruments, nonstop, entertaining the presence of God on Mount Zion. And the people could come just like you did this morning, and get into the presence of the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 16 and 37, it says, So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant for the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly or continually. Listen, do you know why we need to worship and pray continually? Let me tell you why. It's because Satan's opposition is continual. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan accuses us before God day and night. In the book of Job, the first chapter in the 6th through the 7th verse, it says, On one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. And I believe he was there in God's throne to accuse the church. Satan had showed up to accuse you and I. Listen to me. 24 hours a day, there's a demonic force somewhere accessing and accusing us before the throne of God. And based on the book of Job, we know the devil knows how to get into the presence of the Lord. In my study, in my home, I started thinking, if the devil is going to be there accusing in the presence of God, I believe we need to be here praising. If the devil is going to be persistent enough to accuse us day and night, I would hate to think the devil is willing to go through more to get into the presence of God to accuse than we are willing to get into the presence of God to praise. Especially since we already know everything he's accusing us of, we already have victory over because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are already covered by the blood. We're already redeemed. We're already sanctified. We're already justified by the power of the Almighty God. We are already chosen. We are righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. In my mind, I see in the book of Job, as he's walking in, there was a cold chill that went through heaven. And don't you know, Michael and Gabriel, they, get, they grab their sword. And Lucifer walks in, Satan. I believe he walks like George Jefferson. All arrogant. He don't care. And he's there to accuse the church. What blows my mind is that many of us, even though you'll say amen to what I just said, you can't get up and go to church and get in the presence of God because it's too hot outside or it's too cold outside or they don't sing my song or those people over there, they're bugging me. That woman, she's tap dancing on my last nerve. It's amazing how we can keep the most 
Tiny little things can keep us from really being thankful, from worshiping. But did you know there was a man who lived among the tombs of the Gadarenes who was filled with 2,000 demons? And Mark 5 tells us when Jesus got out of the boat, this man who lived in the tombs, no one could bind him anymore. They would put chains around him. He would break the chains with supernatural strength. He was literally running through the graveyard, howling like a wild animal. And when he sees Jesus afar off, he comes and he runs at, falls at his feet and begins to worship, which tells me, which tells me not even 2,000 demons can stop you from worshiping if you really want to worship. There is nothing on earth that is authorized to keep you from worship. Did you hear what I just said? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No trial, no burden, no cancer, no x-ray, no bills, no court, no politician. Nothing can keep you if you really want to praise him. Nothing is authorized. So right now, somebody praise him. Somebody lift up your voice. Somebody shout to God that you've been set free, that you've been delivered, that you're a child of the almighty God and you're on your way to heaven. Come on, Bethlehem, praise him. Praise him. Jeremiah 33.3 says, God, call upon me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you know not of. Call upon me, he said it. I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you know not of. Listen, God wants to give you inside information this year. Inside information, ladies, about your husband. And some of you know you need some information. Men, God wants to give you inside information about your children. How to raise them in a day and age of no morals, ethics, or integrity where they're being held captive in digital Babylon. Ooh. Inside information. By an upraised hand, how many say, Pastor, I want inside information. Yeah. Then praise him. Then praise him. Be unashamed to be thankful and praise him. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, God says, for the battle is not yours, the battle belongs to the Lord. So put the singers and the choir out front of the army, he tells Jehoshaphat. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of the army. And here's what they said. Give thanks to the Lord for his love and mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving mercy endures forever. They're literally being surrounded by an army. Have you ever felt surrounded by the world? That once you deal with this, here comes that. And then once you deal with that, here comes this. How do I fight, pastor? Give thanks unto the Lord. You stop and you lift up your voice. For his love and mercy endures forever. They were singing praise to the Lord. His mercy endures forever. When they started praising, the enemy turned on one another, devouring one another. And it took them three days to pick up the spoils of the battle. I don't know what you're facing. But I do know that no matter the circumstances, if you will praise the Lord, he'll come and seek you out. He'll show up. David said, we need 4,000 who will be gatekeepers and ushers, 4,000 that will praise the Lord with musical instruments. We need 4,000 that will lift up their voice. 
Continual praise. David learned a huge lesson about praise and worship in God's presence. I want the musicians to come quickly. When David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, David had great intentions. However, his first attempt failed miserably. They were guilty of a major error. The Bible says when they arrived at the house of Abinadab, they put the Ark of God on a new cart. The cart was created by the Philistines. The cart represents a vehicle of man. God never intended the Ark of the Covenant, God's law, God's leadership, and God's provision to be put upon a cart. And they began to pull God behind them like a heavenly bellhop or a heavenly Santa Claus. You say, well, Pastor Randy, what's the cart? The cart represents anything that you put ahead of God. Maybe your cart is you're trusting your job and your career in this last year more than you trusted God. Maybe your cart is your finances or your relationships. And you say, Lord, I'll give you everything, but as far as my relationships go, I'm, I'm taking care of that. And the Bible says when they reached the threshing floor of Nacon, the threshing floor is about a four-inch piece of stone where they would thresh the wheat. The ox cart began to stumble and fall, and the grandson of the pastor, Uzzah and Ahio, the sons, they reached up and they touched the ark of God, and God said, because of your irreverent act, because you have no fear of me. You see, to them, it was just a piece of furniture. Oh, Sunday, it's no big, God doesn't care how I live Monday through Friday. Saturday, just as long as I show up and throw a little in the offering on Sunday, I'm okay, I'm covered. That's not how it works. Monday through Saturday matters. Monday through Saturday matters. And the Bible said when the young man died, it took David three months, the length of summer, to get over it. And now the Ark of the Covenant was resting in the house of Obed-Edom, and it was six miles from the house of Obed-Edom to the tabernacle that David built. And David said, burn every cart. Because God told us that we are to put a long stick or a heavy rod through the Ark of the Covenant and lift it up and put it on the shoulders of a holy priesthood. And they would feel the weight of that gold box, God's presence. Here's a question for you. In 2019... When is the last time you felt the presence of God so heavy on you that your knees buckled? In 2020, are you hungry for it? The first time it happened to me, it scared me. Now, after 30 years of ministry, 31 years of ministry, if it doesn't happen, I'm terrified. Because when I am weak, he is strong. And the Bible says that David took six steps. Now, please remember, the average step is two feet, two inches. And David lifted the Ark of the Covenant on his shoulders. One, two feet, two inches. Two, three, four, five, six. No one's died. And David cried out, 
get me the oxen, sacrifice it, cut it, dress it, lay it on the altar, bring a lamb, take it, cut it, dress it, burn them both up, worship God, send up incense. And as soon as that was finished, pick up the ark again. Six more steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do it again. Build an altar. Bring the oxen. Cut it, dress it. Bring the lamb. Cut it, dress it. He did this for six miles. 2,437 total stops over six miles. 406 stops per mile. 2,437 oxen slain. 2,437 calves slain. If it took 30 minutes to prepare the ritual sacrifice, that's 1,259 hours or 52 days to make a six-mile journey. At eight hours of sleep, three hours to eat each day, that's 630 more hours, 26 more days to cover six miles. It took David 78 days just to move the Ark of the Covenant from one place to the next. And David learned that he had to fight battles. He's the king of Israel. He's got a nation to run. But there was nothing more important than being in the presence of God. And some of you need to realize the reason you're going through so many heartaches and trials is because you put everything else before the time with God. And it'll show on your face. David said, with the presence of God, I go to war. And with the presence of God, I live. Now, here's the amazing thing. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the very moment you accept Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life, and you now become the new Ark of the Covenant. You now become the mercy seat where God longs to set on. You now become where God wants to put his law, his leadership, and his provision. He longs to be with you. He longs to be on your shoulders. And he longs to walk with you and talk with you. If you want him to be with you in that manner, if you're longing to be the Ark of the Covenant for God in 2020, if your prayer is, Lord, I want you to sit down in my home with your big old lazy boy chair and bring your presence with you. If you do, then right now I want you to stand to your feet, lift your hands, and just begin to worship him. And say, here, Lord, fill my home with your presence. Fill my home with your anointing. Fill my home. You might be watching me via live stream right now. The presence of God could fill your home as well. I want you to call out to the Lord. Maybe you have family members that need to be saved. Your prayer right now is, Lord, use me in a supernatural way that I would be real and authentic, not weird. Listen to me, friends. When the presence of the Lord comes in your life, you don't have to be weird. You are normal. My friends will tell you at home, I'm as normal as they get. But I love the presence of God. Every step, two feet, two and a half inches. And with every step, you're saying, Lord, make me the Ark of the Covenant, that I long for your presence. That, Lord, my family would be saved, set free, and delivered in 2020. In the name of Jesus.